Is burnout something that you have suffered with over the years? Perhaps you've not even known that it was burnout. I know that it's something that I have dealt with um, definitely throughout my adult life. And I see this a lot with um, my many clients. And this is why I've wanted to do a workshop on it. I am specifically targeting the, the boom or bust um, cycle of burnout where we sort of just keep going through this and forgetting what um, what contributes to the burnout. So on the 12th of October at 12.30pm, I'll be doing a live workshop on ADHD burnout, how to break the boom or burst cycle and create more equilibrium in your life. Now, I recognise that we are more prone to to burnout. And actually, um, I think it's around 55% of people with ADHD have experienced burnout, which is a lot higher than neurotypicals. This is lots of different traits of ours that we procrastinate, then we work very quickly to a deadline. We have a lot going on in our heads, so we're constantly wanting to create more. We're perfectionists and we just never feel like what we've done is enough. But also there's a lack of trust there. There's a lot of self-doubt. So we're constantly checking and rechecking, which is really stressful in our nervous system. These are just a few of the elements of, of why burnout shows up more with ADHD. And this is what I'm going to be talking about at the workshop. Now, if you can't make the live workshop, there will be a recording, but I do urge you to join the live workshop because what I will be doing in the last 15 minutes is offering a 15, 20 minute Q&A. And I don't normally do this, I don't normally open it up, but I want to be able to offer some of my teachings, my guidance, personalised questions to help you with regards to this subject on burnout, but also anything else on ADHD. So if you fancy asking me some questions, whether it is burnout and um, exhaustion and being able to sort of manage your energy levels better, being able to break this cycle so you do have more sort of harmony and equilibrium where it just feels a little bit more even, then I um, definitely would say come and join the workshop. It's £33 and you're going to be getting a lot of content there. So if you are interested, it is on the 12th of October, 12.30pm. I really hope to see you there. All the links are in the show notes, but also on my social media handle as well, or just head to my website, which is coachingbykate.me.uk. Go onto the workshops area and you'll see all the information there. Really hope to see you then. Welcome to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Kate Moore Youssef, your host, and if you've arrived here, there must be a reason. I'm guessing you're curious to learn more about improving your wellbeing alongside ADHD, or maybe looking for some advice or guidance to feel healthier and calmer. So, why start this podcast? I'm a wellbeing and lifestyle coach, EFT practitioner, mum to four kids, and I discovered my own ADHD alongside one of my daughters at the age of 40. And now, after supporting many other women just like me, and probably you, I feel there's a need for more emphasis on well-being and lifestyle help for women with ADHD. And through the podcast, I want to offer you new insights and perspectives to enable you to live your most fulfilled, calm and balanced life. So wherever you are on your ADHD journey, my aim is to support you in finding the awareness and the most aligned tools to enhance your well-being so you can make the most intentional mindset and lifestyle choices moving forwards. Ready to get started? Here's the episode. Hi everyone, welcome back to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast and today 
I have someone with me whose book has been sat on my desk since pretty much the day I was diagnosed. And I'm just delighted to have psychotherapist Sari Solden here with me. Before we get started with our conversation, I just want to give you a little bit of an intro if you're not familiar with Sari and her work. So she's been a pioneer in the field of counselling women and men with the strengths and struggles of ADHD for over 30 years. And she is the author of three popular and very groundbreaking books on the subject. And these include Women with Attention Deficit Disorder, Journeys Through Adulthood, as well as The Radical Guide for Women with ADHD, which she co-authored with Michelle Frank. And I have that book on my desk. That's what I was talking about. And she's a well-known and national, international keynote speaker and is a frequent contributor to articles, podcasts and other media on the subject. And her specialisation includes the emotional consequences of women's executive function challenges, inattention ADHD and the healing process for adults who grow up with undiagnosed ADHD. And I think that's huge. And that's something that I would love to focus on on, on this um, chat today. So Sari, welcome to the podcast. Delighted to have you. Oh, thank you so much. So nice to be here. And thank you for asking me. I have very fond feelings for the UK. So it's lovely to be with you. Oh, well, you know, this this podcast actually is global and it's like half UK and half the rest of the world, lots of American listeners. Um, But the one thing that we have, you know, I I see a lot of clients and I genuinely always say to them, have you got this book, which is the radical guide for, for women with ADHD? And I always say, just get it because the reflections and the opportunity to to do a lot of the journaling and really sort of dig a little bit deeper I think is so helpful it helped me and what I loved about it was that it was so relatable genuinely like everything was like how does she know how does she know (laughs) so you've been doing this for 30 years can you tell me maybe more I don't know maybe 35 now I'm thinking (laughs) you know which is you know why I was there right at the beginning yeah when when were you diagnosed with ADHD well I mean I sort of understood this in around 19, early 90s is when we understood that adults could have ADHD, continue to have ADHD, and then even moreover, that you never had to have hyperactivity to have these struggles with executive function. So that was all in the early 90s is when uh, I became diagnosed through my work and working in the field. I started to read a lot and understood and went out and got diagnosed and went on medication. But that, yeah, so that was in the very early 90s. So you must have been pretty, there must have been few and far between women who were being get, getting diagnosed you know, later on in life, who were understanding how ADHD shows up. Because, you know, if I think about it, it just feels like only relatively recently that women are recognising ADHD in themselves. So how did that feel, you know, back then in the 90s to be a woman with ADHD? Well, I sort of was a pioneer, and it's funny to me that you're talking about this book, you know, which was published in 2019, but really my career in the pioneering work and it was at the beginning of the field, uh, and the first book, Women with ADHD, was published in 1995, so there's a longer scope, and the women then said the same thing. How did you know this? Did you follow me around? How did you know what my life was like? Because now, even though you think a lot of women aren't still getting diagnosed, Nobody was getting diagnosed. So it was a complete revelation. And the reason why my book took off and why this field grew was because, believe it or not, it was the beginning of the internet. 
<laughs> so it was the beginning of women start for the first time talking to each other. And it was the beginning of conferences for adults. Before that, it was just children and academics talking to parents. And so women just sort of pushed their way into this field and adults. And there was actually you know, pushback for that. What do you mean women are going to define their own experiences? So we've come a long way. I was in a unique position because I was at an agency for counseling where we focused on psychotherapy and we focused on the self and how people felt about themselves. And there was a little special project within that agency for adults with learning disabilities. And then there was another little project about minority mental health. And I was, so I was a bridge between all those things. So I didn't come from academia in terms of researching or a medical field. I was always interested in the effect of the self on these kind of chronic difficulties. So the way this came about is, even though we started to understand that adults had ADHD, women still, even though those early books talked about that, didn't really find themselves even in those books because they experience it so much differently. So I was having men and women clients with the same organizational problems. But what I started noticing was that that women had such shame about their organizational problems and these internalized expectations about what it means to have, you know, these kind of difficulties when you're the one in charge of all the children and coordinating logistics, all the things that have to do with executive function. And so that's where that collision between executive function and one's self-image came in causing the shame and these reactions. So men, you know, they had the same problems, but they had people helping them or they didn't identify so much with that. It didn't affect their core sense of self. So that's when I started studying and writing about it. And then when this, I wrote this book really early on in, in 1994, I was writing it published in 95. And it just sort of exploded uh, those myths and women started becoming much more prominent in their own lives and talking to each other and, and pushing doctors and pushing therapists to start to understand them more. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what you mentioned about the self and the expansion of self and this, the shame, I feel is most of the women I speak to, they can deal with the other aspects of ADHD. And then it's the layers and the layers of the compounding that they struggle so much with. Right. And I think that's why my books have hit so much and why in this radical guide, you know, we talk about the process of needing to untangle your chronic brain difficulties and, you know, and those executive functions from your core sense of self, because when you're not diagnosed over all these years, they sort of conflated and your difficulties become who you are. And it takes a really long time to unravel those complex layers that I talk about in all my books. There's these layers. And unfortunately, most up till now in the field, a lot of the focus has been on strategies, getting over your ADHD, getting fixed, moving on with your life. And that doesn't work with people who've been so wounded by their difficulties or differences and really narrowly view themselves in a way that takes a long time to expand into an accurate, healthy, whole view of themselves. Yeah, exactly. It's the unraveling, isn't it, if, of just having the awareness that they're not wrong, they're not bad, they're not, you know, people that have got lots of flaws, they have are just discovering something different and new about themselves that they didn't understand. And so I have a lot of women who come to me who are newly diagnosed, who are so grateful to have had that diagnosis but then it's like oh my goodness there's so many layers that they want to uncover and unravel and actually kind of take a bit of a deep dive into who they are and I know that in your books that you talk about authenticity and you really hone in on that because 
I mean, again, it was just like bang on the money because I didn't know who I was before I was diagnosed with ADHD. I didn't want to show up. I didn't want to use my voice. I used to, I think I've spoken about this before on the on the podcast, I used to blush incessantly. Huh. In, like literally, you know, I would just like turn bright red at the thought of having to speak in public, having to, you know, say anything that was authentic because I didn't trust myself. And since I've been diagnosed with ADHD, 100%, I can't remember the last time I properly you know went crimson and it's just it was just that acceptance it's like oh okay finally there's an authentic being inside of me that can speak her truth and can you know use her voice for action and for good and you know the fact that I've sort of stepped into this role with the podcast so it's given me a huge amount of confidence to know that there's a reason why my brain has been wired the way it is and it's allowed me to step into more visibility which well, is what you talk to yeah that's the whole about. the whole goal for most women and you've done it fairly rapidly but for because everybody starts in a different place for, for many women it takes a very long time and it takes somebody to be able to see you often you know well to understand to have a diagnosis but then to not pathologize that or not look at you as limited then or not try to get you over mm. it you know to really see you stay with you help you uncover those layers help you step into yourself that's why in this book we focus not so much on the adhd because i tell people like you just said if at the end of the day you're just left with dealing with adhd you can do that that's not you so it's much harder to move toward you, yourself, your life, find something compelling and meaningful to, to, like you said, most women are embarrassed, they're backing away from other people, they're retreating, they're hiding, they're masking, and it takes a lot of uh, support and, mm. and, and time to move slowly toward that edge of that comfort zone, to try out new things, to feel entitled to claim some space in your own life, to have a voice. So I work a lot with people with that. And then the ADHD is is chronic and something to use medication for or coaching for or strategies for but that is not the whole battle at all you've got to separate that and have a life you have to have a fulfilling life and be your and learn to be more authentic and instead of pretending and trying to please Mm. everybody and being embarrassed about fear of people discovering the terrible truth about you yeah yeah exactly i mean it's an exhausting way to live isn't yeah, it exactly and i and, and i you know i've spoken to women who are only just discovering it in their 60s and 70s and i just my heart goes out to them just the thought of you know not being authentic and having to hide and mask and pretend and they're constantly going from burnout to exhaustion to depression and then they have this the answers and then there's that essence of grief. It's just like my whole life, you know, I didn't know what was wrong with me. I didn't know why I had to sort of kept, you know, what you said, retreating. I'm interested to know. I mean, there's a narrative now, you know, we're in 2022. Um, female empowerment is there. You know, we're still sadly nowhere near to where we should be. But, you know, we're, we're, we're growing up with new generations of women who are stepping into their power, who are using their voice, who aren't afraid to be different. Um, slowly, it's a very slow shift. But I'm just interested to note when you came out, you know, in the mid 90s with a book about this and talking about women with ADHD and exactly what you're saying now, what was the reaction? What oh. were people saying? Were there naysayers? <laughs> the men, <laughs> the men, the, the academics, men. the status quo, there was a huge pushback this has never happened before. Women, don't forget, we're all isolated having this experience. They had no idea. They had no internet. They had no way to know that other women were experiencing this. No one had ever written about ADHD in women because 
their experience was so different. The last thing that anybody would think about explaining their difficulties was that they that they had something that you think about a hyperactive little acting out troublemaking boy. So that was never even on the table, especially if women were smart or successful. It was just a non-starter. So the women were hungry for this. Women were were healing from this idea of connecting to each other and understanding they weren't alone and validated. Um, and there were a lot of professionals at that time, men included, who were who from the beginning were very strength-based and humanistic and really embraced this book and this idea. There was always this other group of people who resisted that. It was just like in any system, you know, but slowly over time, women <laughs> made themselves known. I have been impressed over the last several years, especially during the pandemic where I've I've been all on Zoom and only talking to people, young women all over the world. There is a huge generational shift that I'm interested in. Instead of just talking about ADHD, you know, I think it's more important to talk about neurodiversity, more important to talk about differences in general. And yes, yeah, there's a huge difference in how young women don't let these differences, any differences define them. I mean, that is the push now in the world, right? To, to not be defined by some kind of, uh, you know, narrow definition of what's normal or what's right. So it is a much more fertile ground for young women now to step into this, to use their voice, to accept this, to talk to other women. Because at the time I wrote this, nobody knew knew that this existed and that they only thought that something was really shamefully wrong with them. And the gender roles were much more, you know, specific than two. And um, so they were very constricted by what they thought they, what they saw in the media, what they heard in the, on the TV, what they heard from their families about what a woman should do or be able to do, uh, or, sh- you know, she just should know all the niceties of life. In my first book, and I don't know if you've read it because you're going to love that book, but it's all about those gender role differences and how women even now, even the young women, even though I just said that, women in therapy still, when push comes to shove, feel ashamed of not being able to do these things easily. You know, theoretically, they've got it now more, but, you know, all the executive function things of running a household or even being responsible for helping other people or, you know, keeping everything going, all the niceties of life, that's like the women's unwritten women's job description I talk about in the book my first book. Uh, and that's the stuff that women want to do and they want to connect and they want to help people, but they're so overwhelmed by all those pressures that Mm -hmm. that's, it's still something that makes them feel like failures or they can't keep up or keeps them on a treadmill often. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I, I definitely agree. There is this healing. It's like a mass generational healing of seeing their, grandmas and mothers and aunties and seeing perhaps where all this undiagnosed ADHD sort of showed up and all the masking and and the sadly you know the mental health issues that had gone on in in different families and always end up speaking to clients about this because you know if they're coming to me they will have had a parent with ADHD and that they wouldn't probably have been diagnosed and you know what you say about there is a shift but it's it's still there. It's, it's still, still intellectual like now, but imprinted, yeah. isn't it? On us that as women, even if we're working and yeah. working full time, and we've got kids, we're still the executive functioning of the house. 
unless we are willing to make a big change and really kind of ensure that our partner is is doing you know the 50 50 i i've talked about this before that my husband is way better than me at doing the the household chores in the house and thank god he enjoys it you know we laugh that he is like the king of the laundry he doesn't even want me to go near the the washing machine because he it's like his um safe place <laughs> just think he goes and just disconnects from the world and goes in there but I still do all the cooking and I actually enjoy the cooking that for me it's like a creative outlet but there was a huge amount of shame that I allowed him to do all of that especially when there was a time when I wasn't working you know I had a few years off um, after I'd had my fourth child and I really had to just focus on being in the house and I still couldn't master it all even though I wasn't working I mean four kids I needed help a huge amount of shame I wasn't diagnosed I just couldn't work out why I couldn't do all the things I should be doing. Right, as a, as people, a women have like, they make up explanations for that. I mean, did, what was your explanation to yourself about why it was so hard? You know, that's where the characterological kind yeah. of imprints come. Totally. Like, you don't know. Lazy, yeah. I was disorganized, I was infantilized. I just thought, well, clearly I'm not a, a, a real adult here because mm. I can't remember to change my kids' beds or I can't remember the day that I need to change the kids' beds. Little things like that. But all I know is that the fulfillment came in so many different ways. And once I recognized that my fulfillment came in different ways, I dropped that story. The story, you know, I just don't care anymore because I know where I'm fulfilled. And I know that um, I'm really good at lots of things, but this has taken time. This has taken a diagnosis. It's taken a huge amount of inner work. And now obviously I'm coaching other women, um, but I don't think I'm quite there yet because I can still, sometimes that voice comes back, oh, you know, it's, it's to a, bite me. <laughs> no, it's a, and I think it's important to manage your expectations. You know, it's a lifelong journey. I, yeah. I know all the biggest experts in ADHD, ADHD women. I mean, and I work a lot with mental health professionals with ADHD now. It's one of my favorite things. Now I've had groups with, you know, support groups for women who are actually mental health professionals who, who we talk about these deep issues, you know, of the shame and the masking and the hiding still. So it's a lifelong process of, of learning to be yourself around neurotypicals, you know, becoming comfortable in the world and not holding yourself back. But it's an, it's an ongoing process. They're always going to be times all the way throughout your life where you're going to be threatened internally by or wounded in a group of people. Oh, I don't fit in or, you know, or, or I should hide that or why can't I do that? Or, so that's going to happen. But now you don't fall all the way down. You know, you still can recoup pretty quickly who you are and just notice how you're reacting. Notice they're from earlier wounds, but you're going to run into these kind of feelings, even no matter how well, you've, you know, if you haven't been diagnosed until adulthood and you had no explanation for these difficulties, I look at my old journals now because I have lots of boxes to go through, you know, and they're all in there, you know, oh, do I have a brain tumor, you know, or am I just selfish or trying to figure out what the heck this was. I had massive disorganization, even though I, you know, had my master's degree, I was working at that point, you know, in a counseling agency, there was just such a mismatch and such difficulty functioning that I, I had no idea what could account for this, you know, and so it takes a long time to, to understand that and accept that. So living in a busy household where I'm constantly switching tasks, which we all know isn't that easy for the ADHD brain, 
I've recently been using a new tool to help me focus and concentrate while getting my work done. I came across Brain FM after someone else with ADHD recommended it to me. And wow, I'm so glad I discovered it. I'm hooked and I'm using it pretty much every day now. Brain FM has access to over a thousand tracks across a wide range of different music genres and nature soundscapes, all specifically designed to help you focus, sleep, relax and meditate. I've recently used the different soundscapes to relax on a plane, train and cab, as well as choosing an hour-long relaxed track while having some very much needed reflexology. I've also used it to help me meditate and focus on my breath. And if you are anything like me, I can get easily distracted by outside noises and having the Brain FM app on my phone is a quick option to help me do what I want to do distraction-free. But here's the best bit if you're interested in the neuroscience like me. Brain FM has based all their chosen tracks on neuroscience and psychology. So you can discover the perfect music for your brain by personalizing science-based features like neural effect and music complexity, meaning we can change our own neural pathways using Brain FM's chosen tracks. And the focus music is made to help you work better by blending into the background so you can focus distraction free. And trust me, it works. I've been so productive using Brain FM. And this is all the while stimulating the brain with gentle rhythmic pulses in the music that support sustained attention. Now, if this is something that you feel that you need in your life, and trust me, I would not be promoting it if I didn't think it was worthwhile. I've got a discount code for you. So you can head to brain.fm forward slash ADHD women's wellbeing. That's brain.fm forward slash ADHD women's wellbeing. And I've got a code for you, which is ADHD women's wellbeing. You can start your free trial straight away. And then you get the discount when they decide to charge you. All the details I will put on my show notes. So if you go to brain.fm, ADHD Women's Wellbeing, and use the coupon code ADHD Women's Wellbeing. So how did that your diagnosis come about then? So you were already working in this field, in the counselling field. You're already kind field. of mental health. Yes. But then I, like I said, luckily I got to work in this office within a counseling field. The only place in the country really was for adults with learning disabilities in a counseling situation. So it wasn't an academic setting or educational setting. So I was, it was just lucky that I was counseling these people. Oh, so they put me through a series of tests, not the, not ADD tests, but more learning disability tests. And that was the first time I had experienced anything like, uh, I realized what it incredible difficulty I had with short-term memory. I had, they would show me these nonsense kind of pictures of robots, and then they'd go back and ask me their names again. And there was no context. I realized then that most of my life had been coping and, and using context and all sorts of techniques that when I was tested and wasn't able to do that, I couldn't do it. So that was the first time I realized, wow, I got some, you know, some real things here. Um, but there were lots of books in the room about learning disabilities. And I would spend my time in between clients looking in the index for disorganization, disorganization, trying to find it. And, you know, and they would talk about it in some of the books for learning disabilities and I would have to piece it together, but it wasn't really till a couple books came out in the early nineties, uh, driven to distraction, but then also by two women, you mean, I'm not lazy, stupid, or crazy. Those women became my friends afterwards. Uh, but 
that I really recognized the much deeper kind of struggle that women have. So I just got diagnosed. I went and got testing and I got on medication. And my life really changed uh, at that point. I was at the agency. I ne- just like you, I used to talk at all. I, I talked, didn't talk in groups at all in front of people. I was always so afraid, first of all, that I couldn't connect my ideas, couldn't present them organized way, but that I'd be judged or I'd be embarrassed. So I didn't talk at all in any of the, you know, meetings at the agency or anywhere, <laughs> dinner parties, nowhere, until I started to take just a little bit of a stimulant. And then all of a sudden I felt like, I remember the first time I was out with people and I told the whole story, you know, <laughs> in one piece. All right. Then I started talking in, in the groups at work and then I started becoming the expert and started giving workshops. But it, the medication for me really uh, was, you know, helped me be awake. <laughs> Basically, you know, I was couldn't stay awake even before that. I was just very sleepy. And so the medication then is just like the foundation often. And then you can start to build and have more and more successful experiences. That's what people need to do to first somebody to support them and see them and them to understand their diagnosis, but then slowly to start having more uh, success in their life, just in their area of strength. But it takes a long time and accepting help is one of the biggest problems for women. They ADD feeling like, oh, they should be able to do it all and what's wrong with them. Even after they think they've accepted their ADD, it's like, okay, like I know I have ADD, I accept it, but like, why can't I do this? Or why is this still a mess? Or why is this, you know, they don't understand how much their ADHD affects their normal life. That's why I like to talk about executive function problems versus just ADHD, which is still very stereotyped and misunderstood and too broad based and why women didn't get diagnosed for a long time because it doesn't really match the real way women experience their difficulties, which is often in organization in some part of their life. You know, they're paying a price often by staying organized in certain areas, but there's some price to pay somewhere. There's some area that's really difficult. Yeah. Like you say, you know, if there's that being really super organized, there's probably anxiety there, perfectionism, people pleasing, you're going to be maybe not sleeping well, all these things. And and you, it's interesting, I had a client just before and she told me that she was going on holiday and um, she was so overwhelmed and so stressed, not because she had loads to do, that was part of it, but the biggest thing that she felt so overwhelmed by was the checking, the constant checking that she was going to make a mistake, that she didn't trust herself, that she she was meeting her husband with one child. So she was going with one child and her husband was going with another and they were meeting. So she was the sole sort of responsible adult. And it was this loop going on and on that was like, I need to keep checking. I need to check that I've done this and I've ticked all the boxes and all the documentation. And I know that travel at the moment is a nightmare anyway. So it exacerbates all the anxieties that we've not done that one thing and that one thing's going to mean that we miss the flight and the whole holiday's ruined. It's all going to be our fault. And I totally resonated. Yeah, with I mean, it's true saying. though, in a way, isn't it though? I mean, so there's a fine line become, you know, between overdoing it and also being realistic that you know you have to you have to have more systems and checking more and you you do have a bad memory and and logistics of everything you just mentioned those are the hardest things for women with ADHD packing is like a nightmare for most women with ADHD it's so much your working memory and thinking ahead and trying to and then putting it all together it's usually a really all night thing for many of my clients with but then logistics so it's easy to think oh i'm not mature but really 
to be able to do these logistics, it is something that takes a lot more energy and a lot more checking, a lot more systems. So, you know, it's what's primary, what's part of this ADD and what's the reaction to it is always hard to separate out um, because it is actually more difficult. And why I talk about radical acceptance, that concept of radical acceptance is, and what I'm interested in is just everybody who has chronic conditions and we all have chronic we all have adversity. We all have difficult things that happen to us. So radical acceptance, you know, would say that uh, we all have pain, just like ADHD is painful and difficult, but we don't want to add to the pains, you know, suffering. That's the difference. So, you know, everybody's got pain. You don't want to turn it into suffering. And so suffering is like, why am I such a mess? Why is this happening? This isn't fair. This is so, you know, I'm this or I'm that versus like, okay, this is realistically something I have to accept when I'm going to go on a trip. I'm going to have to get somebody to help me pack maybe or help me with these things so it's not a nightmare, or, but it really realistically is a difficult area for me. You know, you can let these feelings arise, you know, but don't try to push away the fact that this is difficult. And when you accept it like that, it's really relaxing. Just so, yeah, I wish it wasn't true, but it is true that I have this difficult brain to manage. Um, so this idea of radical acceptance Really, I had a breakthrough, maybe even like, I don't know, maybe it was 10 years ago, actually, where instead of the clutter and all the junk around me, you know, started just constantly like entangled me and made me hard to separate out from that. I, I, I just saw it as walking alongside of all that at some point, you know, separating from it and not letting it engulf me. And just, I think if you can think of it as not fighting against it so much and just walking alongside of it and accepting it. And it doesn't have to cloud your vision so much. It's So accepting a little bit more chaos in your life or difficulty is sort of a weird thing to say, but it's true. So instead of this idea of most women will come in and say they want to get fixed in some way or another, they want to get fixed. They want to get over this. And as Michelle and I talk about in the book, only dogs and furniture need to get fixed. You know, <laughs> And that's what a lot of professionals will collude with that idea of, okay, sort of infantilizing, what do you need to do to do this and blah, 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 mm-hmm. you know, it's as if like in the book, we say, oh, wow, gee, why didn't I think of that? All the suggestions <laughs> are so underestimating and non-understanding of the level of difficulty. So you don't want to, as a professional, underestimate the difficulty or underestimate the strength. This is the way I see wholeness, but Instead, none of those are really you to recognize the strength and the difficulty, but to really focus on that core person, who you are, and develop that more. And, mm. and you know, everybody with ADHD is so different, and it's really about who you are as a person that's going to make the difference. Some people are funny, resilient, determined, sensitive, you know, interesting, or all introspective, or outgoing, whatever it is, you have special qualities, and that's what you got to enlarge. These other things are, are part of it. Because otherwise, mm-hmm. what used to happen is people go, okay, I had a good day, I had a bad day, a good hour, bad hour. And that's very flip-floppy, you know? I mean, you have difficulties and you have strengths and none of them are who you are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what you just said then about and um, everyone being so different, I've, that's what I love. And that's why I've not lost my my hyper-focus on ADHD because you never you never get a same ADHD person. No. I, there's lots of relatable, you know, aspects. And I can always see myself in my clients in some capacity. But they always present slightly differently, especially women, um, I think. And it's just um, so fascinating to see how it presents so slightly and so sort of in different nuances that 
that's why you know there is a stigma there and then it's sometimes I can see why it can be so hard to diagnose would you say I mean you mentioned in the book um the radical guide for, for women with ADHD you talk about she messages well that was um, from she, my first book actually yeah, yeah I, I quoted and, it yeah yeah and I just it makes me sad yeah. it really makes me sad because again we're in this day and age where collaborating and connecting and communicating is definitely part of my you know ethos and, va- and my values but there is still this like for women you know comparing and feeling less than and not feeling good enough and always seeing the person you know the friend the neighbor the colleague that's they should be more like is that a very female trait do you think compared to men yeah but i think um this toxic comparison is a really, you know, devastating kind of experience for women. And I can only imagine now for young women who I wrote that way before the, the social media world, but now I can only imagine that social media and everybody posting all their photos and all their perfect lives and all that stuff, you know, all that there's more and more right in your face ways to toxically compare yourself to what's normal or what you know all the great lives everybody else are leading and everything else everybody's doing so the she message is just to explain to the listeners is um from my book uh from 95 i talked about you messages and she messages because a lot of people said well my family didn't say these mean things to me like you messages like not everybody got oh you're this you're this a lot of women say, I don't know why I feel so much shame because uh, my parents didn't say those things to me. But there's what you do hear a lot. If you're any kind of invisible minority, you'll hear this about if you're in the closet and a lot of women with ADHD were and probably still are hiding or in the closet pretending to be quote unquote normal. So you'll hear other people say, oh, how does she like be a lawyer? Look at her. She can't even blah, blah, blah. Look at all the papers on her desk. You'll hear other people because they don't know you have these problems. So, oh, and she's always late or she doesn't even like make breakfast for her kids or how does she do that? Or blah, her husband does all the laundry. You know, can you believe that? You'll hear just subtle little digs and, and then you know that, oh, if they knew, then what's your choice to stand up for that person or say, I have the same difficulties or to be comfortable and stay in the closet. So that's, a lot of minorities who can pass used to and probably still do pass more and so but that's where the terrible choice is am i going to be myself or and be you know maybe subject to other people talking about me or you know am i going to let people know who i am and hopefully that's diminishing but i think with you can tell me but i think social media probably just makes that a very fertile ground for toxic comparison of yourself absolutely and you know i think the fact that rsd is so prevalent and so this fear of judgment and criticism anyway is it feels very strong and you know what you were saying then about um oh she doesn't make her own the kids lunch or she doesn't tidy her own house or she never gets to kids to school on time i'm like physically recoiling (laughs) because i live this in like two kind of personas of Yes, I've got ADHD. I've got a podcast. I talk about it on social media. I'm out of the closet. But I'm still, there's still a part, an element of me where it's like, I don't want to shout too loud about it because what will people say? I don't want to be sort of like in your face too much because women are probably like talking about me behind my back. Right. Like you could do your podcast and you know your listeners have ADHD and everybody yeah. likes what you're saying. I have, <laughs> like I said, I've been doing a lot of groups with mental health professionals and coaches with ADHD. 
And the young women, the women who are still raising children, you know, oh, they talk about this, like the terrible thing, like the pickup lines at, at, uh, at school, like going to the school functions or, you know, talking to all those other mother, mothers who are just on the way to the, you know, the gym or they're doing this and they're doing that and they're taking care of their kids. And so when they have to be around all those other mothers, a lot of these wounds come up and fears and hiding, even though they might be very successful in their own world when they're with people who they feel like that's the area of weakness that they have to hide, then a lot of feelings emerge. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I think it's ongoing and we're navigating this. And I hope that as more of us are in understanding ourselves and recognizing, you know, our ADHD, that this taboo and the stigma is is, is gonna go away. I mean, I, even for me two years ago when I was diagnosed, I, you know, it, it feels like there's a conversation there where before I was just like, shut the conversation down. I didn't want to talk about it. I only told, disclosed to certain friends who I knew had like more compassionate, understanding, less judgmental way. I kind of navigated it through that way. I had like my, my radar system of who to tell and who would yeah. just not understand at all. And, that's and I good. still that, have that. You shouldn't go around telling everybody. I mean, I, I'm not a proponent of going around telling everybody because nobody understands what ADHD is that much. And they have... They're going to see you through that lens. You have to be careful about who you tell and why. What do you want them to know? I'm more of a fan of, uh, and all my books talk about, uh, sort of describing your difficulties and, and, and then also coming from a place of strength to suggest workarounds for those. Like, oh, I have trouble listening you know, to you in this kind of busy environment, but I really you're important to me. So let's set up a time next week to talk, you know, protecting and connecting, not, not hiding or not just saying, Oh, I'm, a, you know, I'm at ADHD. I mean, nobody gets it really saying I have trouble. Maybe I'll lose track of time. Could you stop here and tell me on the way to the meeting or really just describing what your difficulty is and what you need and suggesting that's a more helpful thing. And because the term ADHD is often stigmatized and not understood. So just, it doesn't really bring you sometimes what you are hoping for. And so be able to really describe what it is that you're struggling with at that point in a strength-based way and a connective way is a much you know, more full way to, to handle these kind of things. I think that's really helpful, really, really helpful for people to, to know that, that it's okay that they don't have to disclose the whole medical history. Once you've got the diagnosis, you don't have to walk into the boardroom and make a whole presentation. No, you know, and it's so important because, like I say, these groups have been really great and, and these really high level successful women are talking about this. That this idea of authenticity doesn't mean revealing everything. You still have privacy. You still have choice. It means you have choice about who to tell, what to and how it's a choice. It's the personal agency. It's not, you have to be, if you're not telling everybody everything about yourself, including your ADHD, that you're not being authentic. Authentic means more and more I'm understanding is like showing who you are, showing your personality, letting people see you shine, letting people see your personality. Because a lot of times when people are hiding their ADHD or something, then they're also shutting themselves down. And you can just open up and it's a long process, soften up, open up instead of pushing away or overprotecting without telling everybody everything that you don't, they don't need to know. You know, that's personal information for people who you think will understand you or need to understand you, or you want to understand you. But authenticity means just being who you are opening up and you know, you're more than just your ADD. So I think that's been important for us to understand in these groups is personal power comes from this authenticity is not about 
revealing everything about yourself. And because a lot of people feel bad. Oh, I'm not being authentic because I'm not telling people about my ADHD. And, you know, you have to, you can judge, you can choose. So it's about just not reflexively retreating. It's about choosing what you want to do and what people you, you want to know about you. You get to yeah. choose. Yeah, because this diagnosis, like you say, is I see it as like rec reclaiming our power and being able to work from a place of self-leadership and self-trust and honouring that authentic side of us. You know what? Yes, we may be doing it to get more um, accommodations at work if we need that. But that I always think that when we get that epiphany, we get that diagnosis, the awareness, it's almost like it's like a chapter. It's like, okay, right, I've got permission. As I always hear this word permission, permission to be more myself, permission to step into who I've always wanted to be, but I never knew how to get there. And that's what the most powerful thing is. And, and that's why I've been so excited to speak to you because your book does that very much so. It's a gentle path. But let's talk a little bit about this new project, which is sort of an older book, but you've updated it and you've got it in a audio book as well. Tell me a little bit about the, the process of correcting and updating this book. Yeah, well, it's just interesting. You know, so uh, like I said before, if you haven't read this book, this is like the thing to read first. Like this is the first book that everybody reads and earmarked and really changed people's lives, women with ADHD. So it was reprinted or revised in 2005. But I would start with this. This other one also was for women that you're talking about. But in between, in 2002, uh, I wrote this book called Journeys Through Adulthood. And the subtitle is discover a new sense of identity and meaning while living with ADHD. And it's funny, the language was different then maybe, or, or the references weren't available like they are now because it was so early on. But the message I realized was continuous through this whole process. As a therapist, what I saw was this need for a much more uh, deeper understanding of the internal journey that adults go through way after diagnosis and treatment. And what's different about this book is I wrote it for mental health professionals to use as a guide to identify where their clients were at at a certain place based on how they were relating to their lives. And they went through different challenges. And the reason why is for men and women and professionals, but the other two books, I became very identified at some point with women, way more. But then I realized I'd like to fix it up a little bit and put it back into print. It's on digital form now in an older version and audio, a little fixed up, but I wanted to reprint it. And, and now I have my own publishing company that I can do this myself. So I'm, I'm not doing a revised edition, just it's a little inside, you know, publishing business here, but I, I'm not doing a revised edition. There's just so many old things in here, like, you know, words that we don't use anymore, you know fax machine so much, you know, or answering machines, just these little things that you go through, it was written. But I felt like looking at this, like, it's very valuable. And it has exercises like you're talking about at the end of each chapter, just like this. So in a few months, I will reprint this and get it back out into hardcover, you know, under my own, you know, publishing company, so people could get it in print. Um, so anyway, I'm well, excited exciting. about that, because people want more to read in the same kind of vein that you're talking about, about the internal journey. And yeah. you probably see this in your clients that people are at different stages. Like they come from, oh, 
finding out or wondering or getting diagnosed. And then afterwards, they go through a whole other internal shift. Well, what does this mean for my life now? How can I communicate differently about it and maintain power and relationships and see myself clearly? And so, you know, that's what that journey is about. Amazing. Well, we'll put all the details in the show notes and people can buy it because what your work is hugely valuable and I just want to thank, thank you, you from you know from myself from a personal thank perspective you. I really want you to read this yeah. other book because I know like you, I'm excited you know, or, or it's on audio book too I actually went to New York and spent a weekend I actually narrated this women with ADHD in so it's me on that narration uh, but most women, to tell you the truth, they like the hard copy book and they underline it and dog ear it and everything. So I would still recommend the hard copy. Well, thank you so much, Sari. It's been an absolute pleasure. It was and, a pleasure um, talking to you and I hope to <laughs> see you one day over in the UK. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for all your work. And I, I love your, obviously, your view of women with ADHD is very deep and very meaningful and and, and right on, I'm sure you're being very helpful for a whole new generation of women. So that's today's episode done. Did what we talk about resonate with you? I really hope you found some takeaways that may inspire you to make some small changes that enhance your daily life. And if you did find this episode insightful, please do consider sharing it. Knowledge and awareness is power, especially with ADHD. You can also head over to the show's Instagram page, which is ADHD Women's Wellbeing Pod, and join the community that's waiting for you there. And if this episode really did strike a chord, please do consider leaving us a review to enable more people who need to hear these conversations find the show. Thanks so much for joining me today and see you next time.